I like to tell stories, um, and I wanted to tell you a story today from when I was seven years old. Uh, I was uh, growing up in Widefield, Colorado, which is down uh, south of Colorado Springs, right by Fort Carson. Um, and we were growing up in the house that my dad had grown up in while his dad was stationed there. Uh, and I remember one time my cousin showed up there with her husband, uh, and they were dropping their dog off with us uh, while they went off to spend some time in the Peace Corps. Now, while we were there, um, they, they came in, and, and my, my cousin's husband saw my brother and I playing. And in the stuff that we were playing with, there were three balls sitting there. And he just walked over to us, and he picked these things up, and just started throwing them into the air in this extraordinary, magical way that I was amazed by as he's taking these things and just juggling them. Now, you may look and say, juggling's not that impressive, but I was seven years old and homeschooled. It was a really big deal, okay? It was so cool. I had seen this, like, on TV or from a distance, but right there in my house, right in front of me, this was a big deal. And I'm just amazed. And he stops and he looks at me and he says, let me teach you how to do it. I'm thinking, okay, <laughs> like I'm going to be the coolest kid in my class, which was just me. Um, but he says, go get some socks. And I had no idea why he said that, but I, uh, I decided, okay, I'll go get them. And he, he takes these socks and he rolls them up into these balls. And he says, this is so that if it hits your face, it doesn't hurt so bad. And, and he says, I want you to take one ball in each hand. And right now, just take one ball and just toss it up and down. Not a big deal, right? I can handle this. This is simple. And he said, okay, now that you've got that down, I want you to take one ball and toss it up, and the other ball you're going to toss it under, and then you're going to catch both. And I'm thinking, I have no idea what you just said. But he showed me, and it was simply this, up and under. Up, up, under, catch them both. And he had me practice this over and over and over again. And my brother and I are just practicing this, and he comes back to us after a little while and says, okay, you've got that down. Now I'm going to throw you a third ball while you're doing that. I'm thinking, all right, I think I can do this. And so he takes the third ball and, and I'm standing there like this going, okay. And I toss up one, he throws me the third ball and I dropped all three of them because I was not ready at all. I had no idea what to do. But he, he said, okay, just keep practicing this and keep taking turns throwing that third ball to each other. And pretty soon we got to a point after practicing for a few days that we could juggle three things pretty easily. And so we've been juggling like this since I was seven years old. My brother was five. And the other day I was thinking about it going, you know, three's not that hard. I'm pretty confident with it. So what about four? Let's see what that's like. I'm thinking it can't be that hard to juggle four, right? I've got three down really simply. I can handle three of them. And I mean, what could be so much different about four? Well, what I learned is that three, you're tossing between hands, four, you're not. It's a completely different way of doing it, totally different technique. With three, I'm tossing from this hand to this hand. With four, I'm actually juggling like this with both hands at the same time, and the balls never cross over. It's a totally different thing, and it is difficult. And so I was like, I think I can get this. I think I can figure out, and I start practicing simply just tossing them up and try, and I can't get it. I'm horrible at it. I'm not very good, but... After a while of practicing the other day, I've got to chase these down before they run away. Whew. But after a while of practicing the other day, I got it to the point where uh, occasionally I could throw all four of them and catch all four of them. And I was going, all right, I feel good about this. How hard could five be? Right? Like, I'm thinking there's, there's no way 
that five could be that hard. If I can do this with four and kind of catch it, maybe I can get all five in the air and catch it. This is when something magical happened, okay? Where I realized that the technique is a little different. Uh, and, and so I got all set up and I was going, okay, here we go. I think I can do this. And, and I, I was very excited and I took and I tossed them all up and there was absolutely no way. So <laughs> I couldn't figure it out, but I was thinking about it and thinking about my life. And you know, what's crazy in my life. I do the same thing where I, I pick up something, something's going on in my life and I'm going, okay, I feel pretty confident with this. I'm pretty comfortable with this. I can handle this. Not a big deal. No big deal. Oh, I've got another thing here that's happened. Not a big deal. I can toss them back. I can handle these things, right? So let's, let's give it some pictures here. So I, I'm married. I have a wife, which means I have a relationship that I have to be pouring into and caring for. So there's one thing, and I feel pretty confident in that. I also have a two-year-old son, and I feel pretty comfortable with that. And so I'm okay having these two things, and I can handle it. I can juggle them. But then on top of that, I, I also have a job. So now I've got three things, and I'm, again, pretty comfortable handling these three things. Not that big of a deal. I can handle it. Oh, but also, my wife is pregnant, so we're going to have another baby. But what more could another kid add, right? Not that big of a deal. Oh, and then also this week, our car breaks down. And so we have to take it into the shop, and now we have a bill that we have to pay. And now I'm at this point where I have more than I can handle. A lot of stuff going on. None of them are really that big of a deal. There are a lot of things that I feel very confident and comfortable handling. Things that I feel like there's, there's no reason for me to really ask for help. I'm, I have the, the gifting and the ability to handle these things. But all of a sudden, there's so many of them that, again, I, there's no way. Some of you were hoping magic. I was just going to start going. There's, no, I'm not going to even try it, okay? It's embarrassing, all right? And, and it's really difficult. If you want to try it afterwards, I would love to see that. So, but here's the thing. Thank you. Okay. Um, here's the thing. We, we hit this point where we all get that way. Where we're going, okay, I can handle some things. I'm, I'm built in a way where I, I can handle certain things that come up in my life. No problem. They're not that big of a deal. But then I was reading uh, in this verse that we're going to be looking at over the next two weeks here in Philippians chapter 4. We're going to be looking at verse 6 together. And, and in this, here's what it says. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Now, I look at that first part, I'm like, don't worry about anything. That's not a big deal to me. I don't really worry too much about stuff, especially the simple little things. Not that big of a deal. I can handle those things. I'm not worried about it. Worry is not a huge issue for me. But it's the next line that really got me. Pray about everything. It didn't say, hey, when you're worried, pray. It said, don't worry, instead pray. And it didn't say, only pray about what you worry about. No, it said, pray about everything. Meaning the things you worry about, the things you don't worry about. The things that are not that big of a deal, you're still supposed to be praying about these things. You're supposed to be telling God what you need, thanking him for what he has done. And today we're looking at that idea of telling God what we need. But in order to do that, we have to start with this beginning part of battling 
worry and how we carry things to God and what we choose to carry to God and not. In that verse, uh, there is a commentator named Johann Bengel who uh, back in the day when he was writing his commentary on scripture, he had a thought on this verse. Uh, and he, he put this down. He said, care or worry and prayer are as mutually opposed as fire and water. And I was thinking about that going, okay, I understand how fire and water works, right? I, I as a homeschool child, had a magnifying glass and found dry leaves. I know how fire works. I figured things out like that. But I also know that when I take water and I put it on the fire, the fire goes out, right? We understand this. And so we, when you see this, you have to understand what, what he's getting at is this idea. When worry is on fire in you, it is prayer that is the water that puts that out. But this verse doesn't just say, oh, when you're worried, pray about it. It says instead of worrying, which means the moment you see a spark in you, you should be lifting that up in prayer. Because it's hard for it to catch fire if what's there is soaked in water, right? So we should be carrying these things in prayer to God. That's how we dampen the ground around and it can't catch fire with worry. Now, I understand this. I understand that God wants me to carry things to him. But for some reason, I still struggle to do that. I still struggle to bring him things. I still struggle to to stop juggling things on my own and to start bringing them to him instead. I struggle to realize that even though I'm capable of handling situations, that doesn't mean that I shouldn't bring those things to him. And it's hard for me in this because I have a few different reasons that come up as to why I struggle to, to carry those worries and those cares to God. Why I struggle to do that instead of just handling them on my own. The first reason is sometimes God just feels unapproachable. He seems like, maybe for some of you, like he's really distant. Like there's, there's not really a way for you to access him. Like if you, if you send something to God, it takes a while for it to get there. Or maybe you're, you're more like me where it's, I know that I can approach God, but do the things that I have really warrant like that kind of thing? Do, I, do they really matter enough that I should be carrying them before God? Because like when Janae and I were looking at moving here, we prayed a lot about that. It was a confusing time for us because of all that was going on. Uh, Janae was very pregnant and we were trying to decide, okay, do we want to have our first baby, change jobs and move all at once? The three like top things on, on the most I don't know, hardest transitions in life, and we're going to do them all at once. So, and, and it was hard for us. And so we went to God because that's a big thing. It was a big thing. But then I think about like this last week, my two-year-old son keeps talking about monsters and how he's scared of monsters. And I'm going, come on. There's no such thing as monsters. Micah, it's okay, man. You don't have to worry about this. Not that big of a deal. And in my mind, I'm going, yeah, moving, those kind of things, that's a huge thing. i got to take that to God. But this little thing that I can handle, it's not that big of a deal. Why would I carry that to God? Why would I waste his time with that, right? Not that my son doesn't matter and what he feels doesn't matter. It's my, I, I can handle this. I know the answers to this. Why would I pray about that? God, God doesn't need to hear all of those little things, does he? Sure, he says I can bring them, but I don't want to waste his time. I don't want to 
And, and so I get this thing in my mind that's like, ah, is it really that big of a deal? Should I approach God or is it, I mean, does it warrant that kind of response? And then I read uh, this week as I'm studying through the book of Ephesians with one of my students, Ephesians 3.12 says this, because of Christ and our faith in him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. If I'm questioning whether or not I should bring something to God, I don't boldly or confidently do anything, do I? I don't boldly or confidently enter his presence with things that I'm not sure he really wants to hear or things that I feel like might be a waste of his time. But what I see in this verse is a reminder to me of something. Because of my faith in Christ, I can boldly and confidently enter no matter the reason. I think it's amazing that it's not like, oh, I can boldly and confidently send a letter to God that someone will take, carry a long distance, translate, and hopefully get it to him for him to respond to eventually. I can boldly and confidently walk right into the presence of God. I can take these things that I've been thinking about juggling and just set them in his hands that are far more capable of handling them. Every single thing, and I can do it boldly and confidently. You're going to see that theme throughout Scripture today as we study. This idea of approaching God with boldness and confidence. And so I look at that and say, okay, sometimes he feels unapproachable, and, and yet... He's made it so that I can be confident when I come to him that he wants me there, that he wants me to come to him. I can come in boldly. And that's an incredible thing to me that helps me battle that idea of him being unapproachable. But then I come up with another reason, another reason why I don't want to carry everything to God. He sees my sin. He sees what I'm really like. He knows every part of my heart, every intention that's there. Uh, in Psalms 139, 1 through 4, we see it says, O oh Lord, you've examined my heart. You know everything about me. You know when I sit down or stand up. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it, Lord. That's a terrifying section of scripture to me at times. Where it's like he knows everything. He knows the depths and darkness of my heart and intentions. He knows all of it. He knows every thought even before I think it. Think about that for a moment. He already knew you were going to, but think about it for a moment. When you think of something horrible, he already knew you were going to think it before you thought it. And now you have to think about the fact that he knew you you were going to think it before you thought it. And it's, it gets you going in this thing that's like, man, that's terrifying. And then it goes even further. He's not fooled when I put on a performance on the outside of trying to look holy. Jesus in Mark 12, 38 through 40, here's what he says. It says, Jesus also taught, beware of these teachers of religious law, for they like to parade around in flowing robes and receive respectful greetings as they walk in the marketplaces. And how they love the seats of honor in the synagogues and the head table at banquets, yet they shamelessly cheat widows out of their property and then pretend to be pious by making long prayers in public. Because of this, they will be more severely punished. He sees right through my facade. He sees right through everything. I can't hide behind acting good or acting holy. He sees right through all of it, and that's another thing that's terrifying. Then it goes even further. He sees my sin exactly as it is. And this is something that he has been able to do since the beginning. And we see him even with the nation of Israel. Second Chronicles 7.14 says, Then if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and restore their land. I, 
this verse, we use this verse a lot of times to say, oh, if my people will pray. But he says, no, not if my people will pray, if my people will repent from their wicked ways. If my people will humble themselves from their prideful state, he sees what's going on. He doesn't just hear the prayers. He looks right through what they're doing to appease him and says, come on, you got to see this. David in Psalm 66, 18, if I had unconfessed sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. If I was harboring sin or cherishing sin in my heart, God would not have listened. James 4, 3 talks about when we're coming to God with these wrong, sin-based intentions. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. Proverbs 15, 8, the Lord detests the sacrifice of the wicked, but he delights in the prayers of the upright. He sees right through me. He sees all of it. Every single sin. It's terrifying to think about walking into his presence knowing that he sees every single thing. He knows everything that's there. To walk into his presence is to fully expose that. And it terrifies me at times. It's hard for us at times to approach God with things when we feel like he sees it. He sees the junk that's there. He's not going to want to hear from me. I'm terrified of what kind of response he's going to have to me. What kind of punishment am I going to have to face by walking in before him? Now, it's long been taught that there are three responses that God has to prayer. Yes, no, and wait, right? Now, I'm not disagreeing that those three responses are responses of God's to prayer. But I've come to understand that God also has a fourth response to prayer. This fourth response is in all the verses we just read. This is his response to what I like to call sin-soaked prayer. And his response is this, repent, change, stop, step out of that. You see, it's the times that God looks at us and says, hey, I know you're asking for this and I would love to give you this, but this is not your real need. Right now, you're still struggling in this. Your real need right now is to step out of the sin that you're in. You want to experience the joy and the freedom and the blessing over here? You're the one that's holding yourself back from it by allowing the chains and bondage that I already broke to be back on you. It's time to step out of this. And so God's not ignoring and he's not forgetting about these things. His response is just different than what we're used to. We're looking for a yes, no, or wait. And we sit there going, God, why haven't you done anything yet? God, why haven't you moved? And God's going, I did respond. Why haven't you done anything yet? It's time to step out of this. But we're a little terrified too at times because he sees it. He knows it. I can't can't bring this to him. That's scary. That's hard. And yet we get to see God's response to a repentant heart, a repentant prayer. In Hebrews 4.16, it says, So let us come boldly, there it is again, to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. I love this verse because it shows us how God responds when we, even in the midst of all of our sin, turn to him and say, okay, I'm repenting. And he says, okay, as you enter my presence, the presence, the throne that you're coming before is a gracious throne. And I have mercy and help for you in your time of need, which your greatest need is to get out of the bondage that sin and death have you under. So come to me. 
My response is mercy. My response is help. My response is I forgive your sins when you confess your sins. I'm faithful and just to do that. Will you not trust me and come with this first? I want to help you here, but you need to realize the greatest help you need is here. And in your time of greatest need, come to me. You don't have to be afraid. And so God has answered my fears of going, hey, I don't, he knows what's going on. And he says, yes, I know what's going on. And I still want you to come to me. I've made a way. Come to me. You can boldly, even in that time, enter my presence to receive mercy and help. So then I come to another reason. My third reason. This one may seem weird to you. Maybe all of these have felt weird to you. But the third reason that that often comes up is this idea that God maybe isn't that trustworthy. Now some of you are going, whoa, now wait a second. All over Scripture, it talks about how trustworthy God is. Absolutely. All over Scripture, it responds to all of these reasons. Yet for some reason, we all still seem to live as though God's not that trustworthy. Because we look and say, I prayed once about this and God didn't answer me. He didn't do the thing that I was asking him to and I don't understand why because it, doesn't, it, it wasn't a bad thing. It wasn't a wrong thing. In fact, I don't, it, it, it almost feels wrong what did happen. It almost feels like God, God did something that he shouldn't have done is what it feels like. Now, before you decide that God didn't answer your prayers, again, I want you to refer back to what we just went through, the last reason, and decide you need to come before God and ask him, God, search me and know me, point out any ways in me that are wrong. Point out any unconfessed areas, any areas of sin that I've been harboring and hiding in, God. Expose these first. Some of us need to go there before we decide whether or not God is or isn't answering prayer. But some of you have been living in a place where you're going, I am living repentant. I have come to God and I am regularly battling against sin and I'm growing in these areas and yet I prayed to God and I didn't get this. He didn't, he didn't respond in the way I thought he was going to. He didn't answer me at all yet, it feels like. And then you start reading through scripture and you see verses like, like when Jesus says to his disciples, hey, whatever you ask the Father in my name, it will be given to you. Whatever you ask of me in my name, I will do for you. We get frustrated. So we're going, why? Why did they get to hear this? Like, why does he say this? I'm, I'm doing that. I'm asking these things in his name. Why is he not doing it? Then you flip further and you're in 1 John and he says, hey, we confidently approach God because we know whatever we ask in his will, we will receive. Whatever requests we have, we will receive and we're confident about that. And you're like, why? And we get so frustrated. And one thing we do have to understand about these verses is when we pull them out of context, it is frustrating. When you understand them within the context of the fact that these guys are praying within the will of the Father, meaning they know what God's will is, it changes things. But to know God's will, we have to understand that comes through the transforming power of the Spirit in our lives. He transforms the way we think from this flesh thinking to this spirit thinking, from a worldly thinking to God's way of thinking. And then we can test and approve what God's will is. When we can do that, it is a whole lot easier to pray according to God's will. But that, that starts and process goes kind of slow. It's hard for us. It can go faster, but that's kind of up to us. But in this, we struggle. In the times where God looks and says, wait, 
or no, or I'm going to do it differently. And we go, I just don't know if I can trust him. I don't know if, if God really has my best interest in mind. Because if he did, this is the way it would be. Now, you may be sitting here going, no, I don't. That's not really how it, But I want you to not think about how you think. Think about how you live. Think about the way that you pray. Because I look at these things and go, oh, I know this truth. It doesn't seem to change the way that I pray very often, though. Until I live this truth instead of know this truth, I need to hear this truth. And so I want to just invite you to respond to this. I want you to hear God's response to the idea of him not being trustworthy. First, he shows us again in Hebrews 10, 19 through 22, that he has made a way for us to bring our request to him. It says, and so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. I love this section because, again, of course, it says we can boldly come into his presence, but it's because of Christ and because of my faith and our faith in Christ. By his death, he opened a new way for us to enter, and he has not only done that and made a way, but he has then sprinkled our guilty consciences with the cleansing power of the blood of Christ to make it so that we can confidently come before him. And we don't have to worry about those things. He has made a way and made it easy for us to approach him. He could have made it a 10-step process that was difficult in order to cleanse yourself. Go back at some point and read through the law of when one of the people from Israel had broken or fallen short of the requirements of the law and look at the cleansing process they had to go through in order to even enter into the temple again. It was intense. And yet God has said, you can come into my presence because it's already done for you. That's amazing to me. That's incredible to me. And God goes further. He shows that he knows our true needs and desires to provide for us out of his love. In Matthew 7, 7 through 11, Jesus is teaching. He says this, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, everyone who seeks finds, and everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. You parents, if your children ask for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? Or if they ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give good gifts to those who ask him? See, God, once again, this is praying and and being persistent to God according to his will and trusting him. This is a faith prayer where it's, I'm going to persistently come to God, trusting that either he is going to respond to this after growing my faith, or he is going to adjust my heart to his will as I continue to trust him and step in faith, walking this out towards him. And, and this is what I love, is that he looks and says, I know what you need. I know the good gifts that you truly need. I know what's there. I know what's really going on, and I have that for you, and I know how to give it so much better than you realize, so much better than you know how to. I have these things, and my desire is to give you these things. You see, what we find in all this is the problem really isn't him. The problem is our lack of faith. 
I love the fact that, that in this, we're looking at it, and, and it's, it is the step of faith, but we struggle with faith, especially when it comes to prayers, and especially when God says, wait. When God says, wait, we struggle. Now, we struggle because we in the United States live in a culture where we don't wait for anything. We don't have to. If your internet is slow, you get frustrated, don't you? You're like, oh my gosh, come on. How long is it going to take for the show to start on Netflix? Come on. I've been sitting here for 37 seconds. <laughs> we get frustrated. And sometimes God looks at us and says, I know you feel like you really need this. I know you feel like you want this. But I need you to wait because it's not the right time. And sometimes when God says wait, that's when we throw our biggest fits towards God. We abandon him. We run away from him. We just give up on him. We try to juggle those things again. We're like, I'm not bringing anything to you anymore. You told me to wait. That's not fair. If you ever want to see what it looks like, at some point you can come watch me tell my two-year-old to wait. He doesn't like to wait. He'll run to his mom and go, Dad said wait. And it's just, it's sad. It's horrible. (laughs) But sometimes he has to wait. And we do too. But the hard thing for us in the waiting is that's when our faith is grown. Now, we don't like faith growing. Because as we see in the book of James, the way our faith is grown is not our favorite thing. And yet James is like, hey, consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. Ridiculous, right? Sounds horrible. I don't want to face trials. And yet waiting is one of the biggest trials in our country that we face when it comes to our faith. It's having to wait. And we struggle in that. But God's going, hey, just wait. There's a reason why I'm asking you to wait. And it is for your good. Do you trust that I know what is good for you? Do you trust me in that? Jesus in Matthew 6, 25 through 34, explains this out. He says, that is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns for your heavenly father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon in all of his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. I want you to to think about this. I, I love how he's explaining, hey, God provides he does provide, and he, he gets right to the heart of it in the middle where Jesus just pauses, and it almost feels out of place, but it's like he's trying to explain something and just realizes and has to look at the people around him and say, why do you have such little faith? Why are you struggling so much in trusting? Why is your faith so weak? You don't have to worry about these things. You worry about these things because you're seeking these things. You're not seeking His kingdom first. You're not pursuing after God above all else. You're seeking after your needs, your wants, your worries. 
Psalms 37, 4 says this, take, del- take delight in the Lord and he will give you your heart's desires. Now, out of context, that's another frustrating one, right? We look at it and we're like, I, I love Jesus. Why is he not giving me what I need? <laughs> Give me what I ask him. Because this verse actually matches really well with seek his kingdom first. And he will provide all these things. Because what this is not saying is, oh, just have love for God. This is not just saying, oh, like God and he'll do what, what you ask him to. This is seek after him. Take delight in him. Make him the thing that you chase after. What does it look like when you truly delight in something. Well, when we delight in the Lord, we pursue him. Uh, John Piper had a great question about this to help you understand where you're at in this. He said this, what is the deepest root of your joy? What God gives to you or what God is to you? And this is a hard one because I find myself so often looking and saying, okay, when I look at, at what God has done, I see reason to praise him, reason to be thankful I see those things and I'm, I'm excited and I, I pray to God because of his provision. But what I've found is that I do that when he provides because my faith is in what's been provided. It's there. I see it. And thank you, God, for providing that. That's great. But we put our faith, we put all of that, our joy is pulled out of what we've received and not out of the one who has given it. And that's hard. But we have to realize, like, if God, did ne- if God had never done anything for you, did you know that he is still fully deserving of all your worship simply because of who he is? He is a reason for joy outside of anything he's ever given you. But see, our problem is, is we're so focused on, but I need this, but I want this, but I have to have this. And we focus so much on the provision and not the provider, and we miss out on what it truly means to live a life without worry Because when you know God, when you begin to see who he is, you don't worry about whether or not he's going to provide. It's so much easier to trust him when I see him for who he really is and not just what he's given me. And that's a problem that we have to battle. And so it brings us back to Philippians 4, 6. It gives us two things in there. And, And today we're just looking at the first one. Tell God what you need. We need to battle our worry, our false beliefs, and our distrust towards God in order to do that, in order to trust him enough that I would come and tell him what I need, that I would bring these things before him. I have to start by battling worry, and it helps when I realize his heart, which he shows us right in the next verse, Philippians 4, 7. says, then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. See, this is God's heart is, hey, If you choose to to come to me, I want to give you peace. Instead of living a life of worry, pray. Pour the water on that ground so it never strikes up. And as you do this, I fill you with peace. Now you may be looking and saying, okay, but you know, like how long does it take for the peace to get here? Like how long do I have to go before God does this. And what you have to realize is this, in Philippians 4.19, right near the end of the chapter, Paul says this, and the same God who takes care of me will supply all of your needs from his glorious riches, which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. He's not looking and saying, okay, so go through this process and then I'll think about it for a while and maybe I'll send you something here and there and I'll, maybe I'll provide for you here and there if I feel like it, but I'm holding back these things until you do. No, he says, guess what? 
everything that you need has already been provided in Jesus Christ. I've already given from my glorious riches everything that you need. It's right there. The problem is you're living over here in worry land. You're still trying to juggle things and going, okay, God, can you help? Can you do something? And he's saying, all you have to do is in freedom, walk over here in faith and hand these things to me and realize that sitting right here is what you need. It's, it's what you need. I've already provided it. That's what's amazing about God. His heart is this. Oh, I know what you need. I've already provided it. You just have to look this way. You're blinded by your worry. Put it down. Come to me and see, I've already given you this. Are you willing to come over here? This is where it's hard for us though, because this is where we start having to take steps of faith, where I take a step and I go, okay, God, this is what's going on in my life. It's not that big of a deal, but you say you want to hear it. So this is what it is. Okay, God, this is what just happened. And here's how I'm feeling about it. Again, not that big of a deal, but you said you want to hear it. And so I'm going to trust you with it. And I keep taking these steps. But have you ever watched as an infant first tries to push themselves up on their feet? It's, it's kind of, at times, it's amusing to watch, but also it's a great picture for us to understand what it looks like to take our first steps in faith. It's these muscles that are not quite developed fully. They're not strong enough all the time to hold up that weight. They have no balance. They're not comfortable in this. And the problem is, that's what we look like when we first take a few steps in faith. We push up onto our legs and feel weak because faith works like a muscle. Faith has to be used to be alive. The book of James says faith without action is dead. It's false. It's not real faith. You can talk all you want about your faith, but until your actions are living out your faith, it's not real faith. And when you take those steps, you're going to feel weak. You're going to feel shaky. But the more steps that you choose to take, the more that muscle gets worked, the more you start to understand what it looks like to balance in this walk of faith and to trust God with these things. And the more you stop trusting in in your ability to hold yourself up, the more you will start to lean on the one who is holding you up, who has provided. The more you put the balls down and trust him to pick them up, the more you'll, you'll realize that there is peace that has been provided. There is freedom. There has already been provision given that you've just been ignoring or not realizing was there. I want to help you do this this week. And so if you have the Bible app on your phone, you can pull out your phone now and and there's going to be a code that's going to pop up here on the screen. There's a QR code. So you can pull up your phone's camera app. You may have to zoom in, but it should read uh, this. This is actually a seven-day Bible plan that is a devotional that walks right alongside what we're going through today all the way leading up to this next Sunday where John's going to talk to us about going from telling God what we need to thanking him for all he has done and understanding that peace. And so this is a, a great plan to help you walk through the next seven days reminding us of how we can carry this to God, how we can trust him with these things, looking through scripture for more truths and answers on this and just being encouraged as we're reminded in this. And so I would encourage you to join us in that. If you're going, it's not working, just come see me afterwards and I'll help you get on that. It's pretty easy. It's called Overcoming Worries. I'll post it on Facebook later. So if that's the way you need to find it, you can open it on your computer. It's simple. You literally go to Bible.com 
and you can look it up on there. And it's a seven-day plan that can be very helpful and encouraging as we start battling against worry and start walking in the freedom of the peace that God gives when we carry these things to him. Now, you maybe are sitting in here and going, okay, I hear you talking all about the fact that we can boldly approach God because of what this guy Jesus has done, but I don't fully understand what you mean by that. I want you to know this. You were created with a purpose. That purpose was to be with God. That's why he made you. It's why you feel an emptiness in you that you're constantly trying to fill. It's this feeling that there's something missing, and that is the relationship with God that you were created to be in. Now, what's, what's hard about this is that because of sin in our lives, we're separated from God. Sin is not just bad things we do. It's missing the mark, the standard that God had, which was perfection. And because I've fallen short of that perfection, I'm separated from God. Now, I can pay my own way trying to get back into that right relationship with God, but the only way I can do that is is by giving to God what he has given to me, giving it back to him, which is the breath of life. And I can spend eternity separated from God in hell paying for my sins. It's what I can do. Or I can realize that God loves me so much and he loves you so much that he sent his son Jesus who came and paid the price that you owed. He shed his blood. He breathed out his breath of life back to God for your sins. Paying that price and when he died, God opened up the doors for you to have access to him. And now there is nothing left that is there to separate you from God, but you first have to come to Jesus and trust that when he died, it was enough to pay for your sins. To trust that when God raised him from the dead, it was God declaring that payment as accepted and showing you that you can have new life through Jesus and him alone. And so if you're sitting in here today going, you know what, I have never put my faith in Jesus alone as the one and only way for me to be saved, I want to invite you to do that today. It's simple. It's that idea of faith. Faith is a confusing term to us sometimes because we don't know what it looks like. It's the idea of rappelling off the side of a cliff and you have a rope that's there and you have to fully commit and lean back on that, knowing that if that rope breaks, that's it. It's the one thing keeping you safe. You're putting all your weight on it. To have faith in Jesus to save you is to take all the weight of what it takes to save you and to put it in his hands, trusting that he is the only way for you to be saved. And if you're ready to do that today, I want to invite you to do that as we close in worship. You can simply just tell God, this is what I'm doing. If you do that, I want you to come talk to me because I want to help you start walking in this. If you're going, well, I don't need, I'm just not sure I have some questions or I want someone to walk me through this, come and find me. Find Pastor John. Grab, grab somebody here who you know has their faith in Christ and ask them. We would love to celebrate that with you, to walk with you in that and to come alongside you in this. 
If you're sitting here going, but I just don't know if God's trustworthy because I've been praying and he, he hasn't answered me. So I don't know if I want to put my faith in Jesus. God has answered you. You're here today for a reason. And here's his answer. You needed to hear this message that he has made a way for you to be brought back to him. Your greatest need right now is Jesus. He's answering you. The question is, are you willing to respond to his answer and to take a step of faith? So if you're ready to do that today, I invite you to do that. But let's pray as we close. God, I just thank you for today. I thank you for the opportunity that we have to know you through your word. And I just ask God that you would please, if there's anyone in here who has not put their faith in you, God, draw them to yourself. Make today the day of salvation. God, help them to see and understand what you've done for them. God, for those of us that already have our faith in you but are living lives filled with worry, plagued in that way, God, draw us to prayer. Help us to be praying before we're worried. Help us to be praying instead of worrying. God, would you grow us this week through your word, through the truth of it? Would you help us to trust you? Would you help us to understand all that you have done? But most of all, God, help us to understand who you are, really. God, that we can find peace in you. Help us, God, as we walk through this season of thanks to put aside the need to carry everything on our own and to realize, God, that you desire us to bring it all to you, that we can find peace and hope again. We praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.